Hi everyone and welcome back to this season, which is season 2 of Learn with Graveholic. And today we're going to talk about this. It is it is fortunate. I guess sometimes I, and this is going to sound bad, but I almost see it as like a curse. Cool, I can like sit on the on the kicker bike and just listen to this call and if I need to take notes, you know, I've got the desk so I can just, you know, type some notes. You're only 33, man. Come yeah, on. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but I guess, you know, at some point, like, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yes, that was Ian Boswell. He has made a name of himself within the gravel community quite fast with winning Unbound Gravel as like one of the first everything that he did on a gravel bike. Of course, he is an ex-pro. He used to ride for Katusha, but more famously Team Sky, which was one of the best teams of its time. I'm truly honored to talk to Ian. He has so much insight and so great knowledge about what's going on in the business of cycling. But hey, let's get this show going. Here is Ian Boswell. Welcome Ian, how are you today? I'm doing well. Yeah, I just had a nice weekend and some some snow on the ground outside. I guess it's, I mean, it's still winter time here in, in Vermont, but it's starting to feel like, yeah, the days are slowly getting longer, which is always a nice, a nice feeling. I, I, I stalked you a little bit and I was lo looking through your, your Instagram uh, earlier today just to prepare a little bit for this interview, which I'm very nervous to do, but I'm super, <laughs> super glad to have you. Uh, super excited about that. And just the question about Vermont. Usually you have a lot of snow there, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, we're pretty far north as far as like latitude, you know, our elevation isn't isn't that high. Um, but yeah, I mean, it seems like the last couple of winters, we haven't had any big storms. I guess we keep getting like a big, big, like dump of snow. You know, I guess the other day we had, you know, like 13 inches, which is what, like, I don't know, 30 centimeters. Um, but then, you know, the next day it was, you know, five degrees Celsius and raining. So it, it all disappears. So we keep getting snow. It just doesn't stay around long. Um, okay. but yeah, okay. we, we've got a cold, a cold spell coming. So the snow that we have should, should stay on the ground. Awesome. So the common denominator that you and me have and, and how I was able to connect with you is basically through Wahoo. So thank you very much for, to Wahoo and, and this is just a super amazing opportunity to to speak to you about some of those things but i would like to start with i mean you ride a bike i ride a bike but but why do you ride a bike and how did you get started riding a bike from from the get-go yeah i mean it's a big a big question i mean I, I think you know a lot of i mean every kid wants to ride a bike you know i think it's like a it's like a, a mile marker i think in every kid's life when you first learn how to to ride a bike you know and obviously um you know, it's a really easy, well, a fairly easy thing for most kids to like have access to at a young age, you know, kids bikes, there's plenty of them, you know, a kid down the street outgrows a bike and all of a sudden it fits you. And then you try to learn how to ride a bike and everyone remembers, you know, their first big crash or, you know, <laughs> you know, going off their first jump. Um, I think it's like the first time in your life as a kid, when you really get to like experience that, that freedom of, ind of pure independence, you know, you can go where you want, you can turn when you want to turn, you know, you get to feel the wind in your face, you get to like, you know, feel the breathing hard, the faster you go. Um, so I learned how to ride a bike I actually wasn't until pretty late. I wasn't, um, you know, now kids have those little strider bikes where they learn how to ride their bike at two or three years old. I wasn't, didn't learn how to ride until I was seven. Um, I think that's just because, you know, kids of, of my age, and I'm sure for yourself, you know, everyone learns how to ride on, on training wheels. So, you know, you learn how to ride your bike kind of leaning off to one side, you know, as the training wheels exactly. slowly bending. Um, but once I knew how to ride my bike, it was like that I was, I was hooked. Um, you know, I, I was fortunate that both my parents did endurance sports, you know, mountain bike racing and triathlon. So once I was able to ride, um, you know, my parents were able to kind of I guess, guide me as far as like, cool, like we can race BMX or there's, you know, once I got big enough, you could do some road racing or mountain bike racing. Um, so it wasn't like a huge stretch for me to kind of enter the sport of cycling. Um, you know, and, and through kind of my high school years, I played, you know, the traditional American sports as well, football and well, American football and, and basketball and did some cross country running and cross country skiing. But cycling was the sport that I, I did well in at a young age, but I think also, I enjoyed it so much because it was very much my own pursuit. You know, when you play team sports, which are, which are huge in the U S um, you know, you can practice by yourself, but ultimately, you know, you can only practice when the team is, well, I mean, you can go play basketball by yourself, but it's not the same as, you know, cycling is like very much a sport that you can get better on your own um, and put in more work if you want to, you know, I could, I just remember like coming home from school and being like, cool. Like if I run home from the bus, I'll be home, 
you know, five minutes quicker and I can get my cycling kit on and I can, you know, go out and do an hour and a half ride before, before it gets dark. Um, and, and I think just that process of like, you know, it, it's very much a sport that you can like track your progress and you can almost kind of, especially when you're first starting or, you know, after a, a long, you know, break off the bike, it's like every day you f- feel and can kind of see the progress that you're making. And I think that like, even to this day, you know, having raced from age, I guess probably seven or eight was when I did my first BMX race until, you know, I'm almost 33. I think more than anything, it's still that like process of like improving. And also just like that, you know, I mean, I think we all, any of us who ride a bike to a, you know, I guess somewhat, you know, harder degree, like when you get back from a ride, it just is such a good feeling, you know, when you're hungry and you stumble in and you're like, Oh, what's in the refrigerator. And, you know, it, it just, it really gets your, your mind and your body kind of like, you know, all the juices flowing. And I think oftentimes like the best, you know, I'm usually in the best mood of <laughs> of the day after I get off my bike. Yeah. Oh, I can definitely speak to that as well. Um, coming back to um, the, it's funny what you say that with the, with the training wheels. I actually, I do remember the day that I was able to take off the training wheels. And that's a very, very early memory for me. And I, I must've been I don't remember exactly, but uh, four or five years old or something. And I remember how proud I was because I, I was at uh, like kindergarten or something like that in, in compare, I don't know what, what it was called back then, but, and, and my parents came to pick me up and I was like showing them for the first time that I was able to ride by myself without yeah. those wheels. That was amazing. Yeah. Uh, but Hey, you, you have a daughter, right? Ingrid. Yes. And she's how old now? She is just over two years old. Oh, cool. Uh, my my middle one is almost three in March, but he we gave him one of those Strider bikes that you talked about uh, last year. Has Ingrid started already? She's had, yeah, she's had one. Um, and, you know, this summer, like we have a little, like a, they call it like a little shotgun seat that we ride her on our bike between oh, yeah, our yeah, yeah. bar and stem. And she loves that. You know, she didn't really want to ride her bike, you know, during the summertime here. Um, but then of course, now that it's winter time and we're kind of stuck inside, she like runs it all around the house. <laughs> so oh. I think this, I think this year, once the snow melts, she'll be excited to go out and, and push it around the driveway. Oh, that's cool. I've been, I've been looking at one of those uh, shotgun seats as well. I've actually done it on my dropbar bike. I just oh, put wow. some padding on the top tube and, and my boy, who was holding onto the handlebar and rode with me just a short just yeah. a short one or a couple of times we've done it but he loves it as well <laughs> yeah yeah the actual i forget the name of the company it might maybe it's, it's maybe it's not shock maybe the shotgun seat i don't know it's a canadian company but um mm-hmm. the kids love it. i saw ted king had one and so exactly. when we got you know when Inger was born we got some uh actually people at wahoo got it as a gift for us um it's like a you know yeah a baby gift and ingrid like in the springtime and you know summer and autumn like every day that's how she goes to school is on her on her little shotgun bike and and yeah she absolutely loves it you know because she still gets the balance and you know she gets to hold the handlebars so she feels things turning and yeah um you know it's just so much fun to to ride around with her on that exactly but i remember when when i looked at it there was something you couldn't do it on the drop bar bikes or something was more for mountain bikes so i guess i need to get a mountain bike as well or something uh we put on the we put on the drop bar bike yeah we have it actually my wife yeah my wife actually has it on we both put it on our diverges or our i have it on my diverge she has it on her on her crux which is like a different you know has the future shock so it's a different spacer but i took a little tool and like you know drilled it out to to make it fit so it's i don't know how safe it is but you know i think she's light enough still <laughs> there hasn't been any any cracks awesome that's so cool but hey you spent you spent quite some years in the pro peloton right and and the last couple of years you spent four years with team sky you spent two years with katusha and then you retire at 31 that's pretty pretty early isn't it or is yeah yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, you know, as I was saying, you know, kind of race bike racing was my, you know, my passion and it was, then it became my job. Um, but yeah, I raced at, you know, I guess through some domestic American teams and then in 2013 joined team sky, I was there for five years and then Katusha for two. And in the spring of 2019, um, I had a bad crash at Torino Adriatico and, and had another concussion, you know, throughout my whole professional road career, you know, I managed to not break any bones, but hit my head a lot on the pavement um, when I did crash. So yeah, it, it was a pretty bad concussion in, in the spring and didn't actually wind up racing for the rest of the year. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to continue racing if I wanted to, you know, there are other you know teams I could have joined. Um, I may have even been younger. I might've been 28, 
29 back then. Um, but I, I kind of, you know, spent the whole summer just like, you know, first doing physical therapy and rehab mm-hmm. and just kind of getting, you know, to the point where cool, like, you know, where am I going to be regardless of racing or not? You know, where, you know, where am I going to land on my feet? And what does that look like? You know, I was able to start riding again. And then once I started riding again, um, it was kind of a long internal dialogue of, you know, do I want to race bikes again? And do I want to race road bikes again? You know, th- and there's so much more to cycling as, as you know, than just racing at the world tour. And I think for the longest time, you know, for me, bike, bike riding was professional road racing. You know, that's kind of all I saw. It's like, Oh, why would you go ride your bike to, why would I take my, you know, daughter to school on bike? I can drive her, you know, cause I got to save my yeah. legs cause I got to be ready for, you know, training or a bike race. Um, you know, you kind of had a very narrow vision of what bike riding was. And it was, you know, the purpose of bike riding is to get, you know, faster and stronger for bike racing. And, and through that summer, you know, I really kind of fell back in love with bike riding well, you know, it, it became much more social, you know, when I was professionally on the road, you know, it was very social, you know, I was, I was riding with other people, but those other people were professional cyclists, you know, so it was like, cool, we're going to ride and we'll stop at a coffee shop, but then we're going to go do a climb. Everyone's going to do their intervals. And, you know, the, the network of people you see is very insular. Um, but, you know, just through that summer of 2019, you know, coming back to Vermont and, and riding bikes with, with friends or, you know, doing local kind of, you know, Tuesday night fun rides or going mountain biking or going on my fat bike. It really reminded me that bike riding is so much bigger than just racing. Um, mm. And there's so much beauty and enjoy just in, as I was saying, you know, coming back from a ride with friends, like, Oh, I was just, you know, where'd you guys go? Oh, we explored, went on these new roads and we took our gravel bikes on mountain bike trails, or we took our fat bikes across the lake, you know, all these like things that I didn't avoid, but I just didn't do when I was racing on the road because I was so focused on the training and, you know, getting the workouts done. Um, and so just throughout that summer of, of 2019, I decided, you know, maybe I, maybe it's time for me to, you know, walk, you know, step away from professional road racing and, and try something different. And that's when I decided, yeah, I'm not going to go back to pro road racing, um, which was a big decision, but also something that I got to choose myself. Um, you know, I guess there was also the the realization that if I go back to pro road cycling, you know, I, I probably am going to crash again. I mean, we've seen since then, you know, how many big crashes there are in, you know, Paris Nice, yeah, Tour de France. I mean, every race there's... Process, right? It's, it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just part of it. You know, I guess I knew I was going to, you know, I was guaranteed to crash again if I went back to pro racing. Um, would I hit my head again? I don't know. But given my track record of, you know, hanging onto my handlebars and not breaking a collarbone, but hitting my head, it was it was pretty high. Mm. Um, so I think just my, my acceptance of risk became, uh, lower, <laughs> you know, I wasn't willing to risk as much. And I, and I think it's, it's very true in professional sports in general, you know, once you start to think about the, the risk, like you're kind of out of the game, you know, you, yeah. you can't be going down a, you know, you can't be going down a pass in the Alps and thinking, oh, what if I crash right now? Because no one ahead of you or behind you is thinking about that. And if you, you know, touch your brakes a little bit too much, then, there's a gap and you're never going to, you're never going to close it. Um, and, and, and in fairness to, you know, professional cyclists, you know, teams can find someone who is willing to go down that descent at, at full speed and not think about it. Um, and I think but, I'd also, you know, Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say this, this thing with crashing. I mean, now we're going to get into that as well with the gravel cycling, right. That you, that you stepped into very successfully, but that's not really on it's not really safe there either, right? I'm, I've myself, I haven't raced that much, but I've, I, those times that I've have raced, I've seen some pretty bad crashes, and we've seen, like your colleagues over there, Ted King, he crashed a couple of times, he injured himself pretty bad, and Pacey McElvin and so forth. So, where are you? Do you do you see that differently from the pro peloton or? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, it's kind of ironic that I say like, oh, you know, bike racing is dangerous, but yet I'm still, I'm still bike racing. Um, and that's true. You know, (laughs) bike racing, bike riding is dangerous. You know, I guess life is inherently dangerous. I guess what I've found in gravel up to this point, you know, it does become every year it becomes more competitive. People are taking more risk. Um, I guess what I've found is that because the sport of, of gravel racing is still relatively, new and it's kind of you know it's still kind of being discovered um you know and and for me gravel racing isn't about being the best gravel cyclist it isn't about you know winning every race i go to it's very much like cool these races are fun and if i have a good day and i you know i'm feeling well and the course suits me like cool i can i can do well um Mm. but i'm not at a point 
you know, mentally where it's like, cool, I'm willing to like risk going into this corner at full speed because, you know, if I lose this wheel, I'm going to get dropped. Got um, you. And, and so I guess because, I mean, to be fair, like the, the level of gravel racing is much lower than professional road racing. Um, every year it's becoming more competitive. It is becoming faster, but overall just given, you know, kind of my ability, you know, I'm able to like, cool, I'm going to go slower down this descent and I'll catch him at the bottom, <laughs> you know, or I'll catch him on the next climb or, you know, I'm going to go my speed. There's, you know, there's eight of us in the front group versus, you know, 150 of us. And it's like, cool, I can just go to the back and like, you know, take my speed. And yes, there's times when I'm going faster than I want to, but I'm not necessarily forced to go as fast as, you know, uh, or fast enough where I feel uncomfortable. And mm. I think, you know, every year that's going to become the speed of the front racers is going to become faster. And my, I guess my, you know, I'm about to have another kid here in the next two weeks. And once you have two kids, it's like, I think my risk level is going to go even down more where it's like, Oh, I don't even know if I want to go down this hill. Um, but, but I think just for the moment, you know, I've been able to like kind of dictate the level of risk that I want to take, Yeah, um, well, you know, and I, I, and I guess, yeah, it's like I said, it, it's not, I'm not in a position anymore where I find myself thinking like, okay, I have to go down this speed or else I'm going to, lose my job or the team's not going to take me to the next race. It's like, well, you know, whether it's Wahoo or specialized or SRAM, yeah. if I, if I don't win, it's not like they're going to, you know, I don't lose my oh, job. I, can, I understand <laughs> the difference. I understand yeah. the difference. There, there is, there is differences. Definitely the way that you, that you express it. I completely agree. Yeah. But I just want to circle back to something that you spoke about earlier. This whole thing about, it's not about the, the racing is, it's more about, um, and the cycling and the cycling is such a, big thing it's just more than than racing itself <clears throat> you you spoke about in in a in a reel that you made uh, maybe it was one or two years ago or something that also i think it was after it was coming back to um to unbound after your your win and um, about and, and you spoke about exactly this as well uh, but you used different words about it's more about the journey and not about ending up on podiums and stuff like that have you was that your ambition when you retired did you even think about that that you want to become sort of an inspiration for people and spread the message about cycling or did has that just naturally evolved with you now or i mean not at all i mean i guess when i you know when i left the world tour and i you know my contract ended at the end of uh december in 2019 you know january 1st i started with wahoo working um you know a normal job and i was like cool like you know, I'm new chapter of life. I still like bikes. I'm working in the industry, so I'll still ride bikes. Um, you know, at the time gravel racing was becoming more popular and, you know, Wahoo as a brand attends a lot of events. So, you know, they're like, Hey, you know, you're, we're going to be at unbound anyways. You might as well race, you know, you might as well, you know, participate because, you know, during the middle of the day when the race is going on, like there's no expo, like everyone's just standing around. Um, so I didn't enter this gravel scene like expecting to be like a racer or to win the biggest races uh i mean really at all it just it you know and i guess you know sometimes i fail to recognize that i do have like you know a past of pro racing where like i have this you know ability to like train and then like do well um equally the fact that like cool if i do something it inspires people you know it's still funny when you know when we're shooting a you know a frontiers film where you know i've got workouts on on wahoo system and people like oh i just love you know doing that week of training with you i'm like people actually watch this i mean even same with with the podcast i mean it's similar to you know you meet someone you know at a bike event or or someone like oh i love your podcast or oh how's your puppy doing i'm like how do you know my dog but you know like they see you on instagram <laughs> i mean it, it's it's still a weird experience when yeah people follow you um, and that people like, you know, take inspiration from you. And I, I do it from other people, you know, whether it's different sporting stars and, you know, outside of cycling, but you find inspiration. Um, it's still weird to like realize that like people watch what I do and like, oh, like, you know, I'm going to get into gravel racing because I saw Ian's doing it. You know, it's still something you don't always like see the, you know, you don't always see the, yeah, the direct result of it, but you, you understand it's there, but it's like not until you meet the people that you realize that you have, you know, in, in some ways, you know, you've enhanced people's life because they've, you know, signed up for a bike event or they've started training or they've, you know, made healthier choices because they found the bike because, because of you. Do you see yourself as an influencer? Um, I mean, not really. I mean, I guess I, I can't deny, I, I do have, I'm sure influence. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I don't necessarily see myself as an influencer. Um, 
you know, and I guess my social media, it's like, I kind of just put out what I want. You know, I don't think about it a lot. You know, my wife, half the time I put out an Instagram, she texts me and said, Hey, you spelt this wrong. Or you, I'm like, Oh, I was just like, you know, I was, you know, I was like doing something else. And I posted this picture and I wrote something, but I didn't, you know, check it. And, you know, she's like, yeah, you spelt these things way wrong. Um, or you need a comma here or you need some punctuation. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess it's, um, I mean, yeah, I guess, I mean, in a way I do have, you know, influence and I do, you know, represent brands that I guess I have relationships with. So yes, there is, I guess, probably a degree of, um, yeah, influence that I, that I carry, um, which is, yeah, there's, there's a negative connotation to, to, to that for some people, at least like being an influencer, but I I get your point. I, I think you're definitely a true source of inspiration. And I think that's what, what, what people and brands also do. Uh, see with you you have a level of authenticity as well that just goes above and beyond i would say now i'm throwing a lot of sort of positive vibes on you but <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean i guess it's, it's this whole and i think it's yeah it's yeah i mean it, it's a it's a a strange i don't say strange it's a new time in like i guess in in marketing and sports you know i guess when i was growing up racing you know there was kind of like one way to the top and that was like to get good results you know every time you got a good result maybe you got a bigger team or you got another opportunity with you know go to a bigger race and like yes that's still very much like the ladder of you know pro road cycling um but when you look at sport more broadly yes there we do live in an era where you have you know influencers you know i guess you know i guess a big cycling influencer would be you know uh phil guyman you know he's a, a cyclist that doesn't even race anymore you know but he has tremendous amount of you know following and engagement and like influence over you know what people choose you know what equipment they buy or where they go do cycling trips you know because he you know is is sharing his experience with other people and i guess yes there is sometimes like a negative uh connotation with influencer but i also feel like one thing i've really enjoyed with kind of this current chapter of my life is the ability to like share my knowledge and i feel like that is one thing that social media it has been great for you know whether it's mm. you know equipment choices that i'm making or why i'm making them or you know training questions that i'm happy to share or you know cool i went and rode in this you know i was in mexico in in november and i you know put together some social media around that and people are like oh wow, i didn't i never thought about going to mexico to ride a bike i'm like yeah it's great you know and so you, you are kind of in a way exposed to more um yeah more different viewpoints which is which is great yeah, you've done some amazing trips, huh? It's been you've been all over the world, and soon you're going to where was it? You're going to uh, uh, to Chile, yeah, exactly. Was it in February, yeah. March, uh, early March? Yeah, Patagonia. Yeah, and it's it's, it's you need to I, tell me about this. You, I I want to know more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's ironically, it's actually like the. I mean, I've never been to Antarctica, but um, South America is like a continent I've never I've never been to. You know, I've done stuff in Asia. I've done stuff in you know, I've been to Russia and all over Europe and um you know australia but i've never been to i've never been to south america so yeah there's a an organization called the fireflies which raises uh money for mostly like you know rare blood cancers and leukemia and they do rides around the world it started in the uk and they were you know kind of doing stuff around the tour de france um these charity events but they have a ride in in patagonia um i think eight days and it looks crazy i mean i've just seen a few pictures of it and it looks so stunning and, and it's very rugged you know we're really far out there um and i've tried what to get some i will bring my str the diverge yeah. um yeah it's i mean from with what the, i with the suspension in the back and yeah 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 because i mean I, it's not necessarily bike packing i think we are going to be staying at you know whether it's you know school gyms or you know hostels or you know little inns um but because the days are long enough, you know, I'm going to load the bike up with some, you know, bike bags and I'm actually bringing a little fly fishing pole. Cause I hear the fly fishing's great. So like, you know, stop in the middle of the day and do a little bit of fishing. Um, but yeah, it, it's an eight day bike pack trip. Um, yeah. To raise money for, for the fireflies organization, which is um, yeah. An organization that donates money to, to cancer research for, for leukemia. And from what I've found, people are going to come from all over the world. A lot of British folks, you know, some folks from South America, some Americans, um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You know, you really get to meet people, you know, yeah. at a, in a deeper sense on a bike trip. But but you do quite a few of these um, things, like with Best Buddies, now Fireflies and, and, and et cetera. But where, where does that come from? And, and how, why do you do it? I mean, I guess it's hard for me to say no to opportunities. Um, 
you know, and I, I think, I mean, you probably discovered this as, as well, you know, the bike is oftentimes the best place to connect with people, you know, the conversations you have on a bike. And I don't know if it's because, you know, you have your, your, your heart's pumping, you're, you know, breathing a little bit, but you're also like, your mind kind of expands when you ride a bike, you know, you think about different ideas and you kind of speak more freely and more, um, you know, openly, but also you're not making direct eye contact. So you can kind of just, you know, you just start talking and people are listening and you're next thing, you know, you're laughing or you're, you know, sharing a story that you wouldn't share if you were just sitting at a bar or, you know, a coffee shop across from a table with someone. Um, and, and so I guess I, you know, oftentimes I'm, I'm invited to some of these events, you know, the best buddies event, they brought in a, a number of, you know, pro riders or kind of, you know, past ex pro riders, um, to help kind of guide the, the charity ride, you know, so there's 50 or 60 people who attend the ride as, uh, you know, donors of the best buddies organization. And then, you know, they bring in eight or 10 of us, you know, ex pro pro riders to be like, Hey, you guys can like, you know, help, you know, guide the ride. You can be out there encouraging people. You know, I guess everyone who shows up to the ride is a cyclist. So they're like, Oh, cool. It's, it's great to be able to ride with, with these pro riders. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I enjoy that. I mean, it's, it's something that I really, like I said, it's weird for me to like be there. Like, Oh, why Chris Froome's here and I'm here. Like we're, I mean, I see Chris Froome as like a much, you know, uh, more accomplished cycle cyclist than I am, but yet, you know, people still like admire what I did in my career, which, you know, in my mind, I'm just me, but, um, you know, to someone else, you're like, Oh, you did the tour de France or you won unbound, which is, a, you know, for me, it's just what I did. Um, but for other people, it's, you know, as you said, it's, it can be inspiring. It truly is. I mean, it, it definitely is. Um, I want to ask you about, I mean, coming back to our, what I said, the common den- den- denominator for us was, uh, or is Wahoo, right? But, and nowadays, this time of year, right now, it's, what is it, 14th of, it's even 15th of January. Um, and it's basically snowing outside my window right here now as well. And I've, I've been on my kicker uh, quite quite a lot and basically more than I would like to. Uh, because I like to ride outdoors, but then yeah. with the time with family and everything, it's just difficult to to make that because it takes time to get dressed. You need to clean the bike, blah, blah, blah. But speaking about uh, the Wahoo products, you have probably tested and used a lot of them, right? Uh, mm-hmm. what, what's your favorite? How, what's what's your approach to indoor training and cycling? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, as you said, I'm fortunate to work here. So I get, you know, either a good deal or I get, you know, products that, you know, refurbished products that have come back. Um, the new kicker move is awesome. Just the, the comfort of it. Um, I personally have the, the V1, uh, kicker bike in my basement, which, you know, I spend actually a lot of time riding inside just with Vermont winters. Um, and it's definitely, you know, it's a higher price point item, but for me, it just makes riding inside so convenient. You know, I did a ride this morning. I woke up, you know, I made some coffee. Our, my wife took our daughter to school. It was, you know, 40 minutes before we were going to meet up for a call. I'm like, cool. I put bib shorts on an undershirt. My shoes are already down there, you know, flip the switch. And I'm like, you know, three minutes later, I'm, I'm on the bike riding and did, you know, a 20 minute ride. Um, so it's super convenient. I think, you know, the same, as you said, you know, I, it, it eliminates, you know, cool. I rode my bike outside. Now it's dirty and our, to get to our basement, you know, I have to bring everything through the house. So it's like, then you're bringing a dirty bike through the house. And like, because the bike is already set up in the basement, it's just like, it's there, it's ready to go. Um, it kind of gives me no excuse to not ride. I mean, I do have a bit of a a knee, a sore knee at the moment. So I've been like, you know, taking it easy, but it makes it easy, you know, just to like, you know, jump on, you know, in the morning before work in the evening after work, once our daughter goes to bed, you know, sometimes in the middle of the day we have, you know, calls where you're kind of just listening, you know, someone's going through a presentation. It's like, cool. I can like sit on the, on the kicker bike and just listen to this call. And if I need to take notes, you know, I've got the desk so I can just, you know, type some notes. Oh, you do that. Um, I mean, if I don't need to talk, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we have, I, like, I might have to try that. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is, which is like, great. You know, it's like, of course I'm not going to do like a hard interval session so I can, no, you know, can't focus. Obviously. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it just made indoor riding so much more convenient compared to, you know, what it used to be, you know, and, and especially now with whether you're riding on Zwift or, you know, I actually do a lot of stuff on the, on the Wahoo system app, you know, the, the workouts, just because oftentimes I know how much time I have. Cool. This morning I was like, I've got 20 minutes. I can just like sort the workouts by time. I wanted something easier because my knee's a little bit sore. So I was like, cool, here's a little 20 minute kind of warm up activation workout, you know select and then next thing you know i'm not even shifting gears it's just it's doing everything for me so i can you know 
watch Netflix or a YouTube video and kind of just space out and, uh, you know, just keep pedaling. I, I am, I mean, I have tested a lot of different platforms, right? I do miss RGT to be honest. And the yeah. uh, system is definitely my favorite. Um, I mean, I'm not saying this because I'm, I'm, well, who, I'm, I'm just, that's, that is my favorite also because there are other platforms out there that I have a feeling that they just pad the numbers. Uh, <laughs> to, for for people yeah. to uh, maybe maybe I'm a little bit too honest and explicit here, but I think that people ride there just because they want to sort of have as much kilometers or whatever miles ridden, and and yeah. the trueness to to those figures and that data is just not there. So yeah. I don't know. Well, and I mean, I guess the you know when system kind of started off, you know, it used to be Sufferfest, which you know is yeah. what it sounds like. You know, it's like cool, you've got an hour, what, how can you get the most out of that hour? Um, you know, and there's obviously easier workouts now in, in system. Um, but there's like some workouts you go on in an hour and you can be toast, <laughs> you know, you can like really yeah. tire yourself out in an hour, which is, you know, oftentimes like what I'm, I mean, like a lot of people, I, I'm not someone who can sit on, on the bike inside and ride for three hours. It's like, cool. Like if I'm, <laughs> if I'm motivated, I can do like an hour in the morning and an hour at night. And I'm like super happy with that. So, but if I make those two hours, you know, specific and, and harder workouts. It's like, that's all I need to do as well. Um, you know, you can get really fit off of, you know, 60 to 90 minutes a day of, of, you know, specific indoor riding. I, I, I need to come back to your basement, your pain cave. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is, this is one of the things that when I thought, when I, when I speak to you being sort of authentic, like you showing off your basement, like there's there you see pictures of people they they're trying to be super sort of flashy with their paint caves. They they paint the walls, they put up pictures. They they make this awesome. They have LED lights like I have back right here back or stuff <laughs> yeah. like that to make it look. Your your basement is 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 a basement, right? It, yeah, it's like a cellar. Yeah, I mean, there's like there's mouse traps around my kicker bike because you know we have mice down there, and it's it's pretty. I mean, I'd say it's kind of gross. Um, but yeah, there's pipes above the ceiling and cobwebs, and you know it's like the one. You know, we live in an old farmhouse, so every every floor in the house is crooked. You know, in our basement, there's like one slab of concrete, and it's the most flat spot in the whole house. And even it's still not flat. So in the front of my kicker bike, I have a little block of wood to make it level. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it's also you know because our house is old and the floors are slanted. It's, it's also, if I go down to the basement, it's quiet, you know, no one can hear me upstairs. If I put the kicker bike, you know, in, in the middle floor or up above us, you know, the whole house, because it's just a, a thin old house, you know, the whole house hears me, you know, riding my bike or, you know, playing music too loud or watching a, a movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess it's like, you might as well suffer somewhere that feels like you're suffering. It's also nice and cool in our basement. You know, that's another big thing is it, you know, it stays cold down there. Yeah, uh, that's definitely. I was going to ask you about that. How the, what the temperature is down like that uh, down there? <laughs> oh, it's probably four or five degrees. So yeah, perfect for indoor riding. Yeah, yeah. What? Um, let's get, come back to to Unbound. Right, that was that was a huge thing. Um, Unbound is probably the biggest, the most uh, famous gravel race in the world. And you you come in was it twenty twenty one as a rookie yeah. and you and you win um, sprinting Lawrence Tandem and you after whatever seven hours or so and, hours. and you win it yeah. how how is that even possible I mean uh, and and how I have tons of follow up questions yeah for that, but. I mean I guess it, it as I said it's, you know it's kind of I mean for me it's still strange not strange that I won. Um, you know, at the time there were plenty of riders who were like, they were still racing at a, you know, living this professional lifestyle, you know, someone like Pete Stetno or Lawrence Tendam or, you know, even Ted King, um, who else was in that front group, Colin Strickland, you know, people who were, you know, I think Quinn Simmons was there that year, uh, Keel Reinen, you know, they were still professional riders on the road. Um, I think also I had really low, I don't say low expectations, but I was like, cool, this is like a 10 hour event. You know, I had no experience with, you know, tire plugs or, you know, kind of gravel races in general. So I was like, this is a great opportunity to get some experience. You know, if nothing else, it's a, it's a long bike ride. That's, you know, something like I've never done before. Um, so I think just because I wasn't like on the start line thinking, oh, how can I win? Or do I need to win this? I was just kind of going with the flow. You know, there, there were times when we hit a technical section and because I didn't want to take risk, you know, I was, there was 200 people up the road and I was, you know, back with the, you know, with the amateurs, like, oh, cool. It's like, you know, get down this hill safely because I just was like, I'm not, I'm not going to, I don't want to flat. I don't want to destroy my bike or crash. Um, 
but, you know, kind of racing my race rather than like trying to race the people in the front. And, you know, slowly the, the group got smaller and, you know, we kind of came back together and, um, it was, it was just like a fun bike ride with friends, you know, at one point, well, I guess after halfway, you know, it was just five of us in the front group and, and I knew everyone in the front group and, you know, Unbound's unique in the sense that it's such a big event, but so much of it is kind of by, not necessarily by yourself, but with this small group of people, you know, you're out there in these mm. roads and you don't see anyone, you know, just the, the people you're rotating with. And it was, you know, four people I knew fairly well. And then the next thing, you know, you come back into town with, you know, I was coming back in with 10 I'm like, oh shoot, this is a bike race, you know, for the, because it's so long, like, the, you know, it's not like a road race where there's like attacking and there's helicopters and there's, you know, team cars and radios. It's like, cool. There's just five of us. We're just, you know, doing a pace line out in the middle of Kansas. It's just, it's, it's like a fun adventure. And then all of a sudden, you know, you come back into Emporia and you're like, oh, well, I forgot where like, I mean, you remember it's a bike race, but you don't realize that like people are watching this and, you know, it's people around the globe are like, you know, seeing where, you know, what the race results are going to be. You're following, you know, a live stream. Um, so to win was like, cool. It's also kind of funny because it's like so much of it for me was still just like a bike ride and, you know, cool. I did a sprint at the end and I beat Tendam, but, you know, had the sprint been, you know, another kilometer later or a kilometer earlier, maybe he wins and then no one yeah. cares that I was second, <laughs> you know? So it's, I mean, it just, it kind of brings like sport back into perspective for me that it's, it's such a funny, um, you know, we celebrate so much the person who wins, but yet there's so many other stories that take place out there. And I think that's, what's kind of cool to me is, you know, with the gravel events, yes, you have the, the pro and the elite field racing, but like, you know, you hang out at the finish line after and everyone's got a story, which, you know, in, in professional racing, like, people just care about one story and that's kind of it. And mm -hmm. with gravel racing, there's, you know, thousands of stories. Yeah. And people create their own stories, as you say, I, I love yes. that as well. And and you've been very supportive of that. I've, you've done that a couple of times, right? Where you head out on your, on the e-bike on them and, and yeah. help and support people. That was, I don't remember which race it was you were out and you, you posted so many nice, great stories about the people that you met and the, that you helped. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've done that the last two years at, at SBT Gravel. Um, I'll probably do it again. It's like one of the most fun things I do on the bike every year. Is, you know, I start 10 minutes after uh, the last person rolls across the start line, and then I just ride, and I've got panniers, and I've got tools yeah. and tubes and snacks and sunscreen. Um, you know, because as, as gravel grows, there's a lot of people who participate who, are, yes, they've trained for it, but, you know, they've never changed, a, you know, broken a chain, or they've never put an inner tube in, or you know, a cable breaks on their bike, you know, they don't necessarily have the experience of, I'm not a mechanic, but you know, I have basic mechanical skills. And it's like to be able to help someone just make it to the finish, you know, cool. We got your chain fixed or someone drops a chain or, you know, people keep pinching a tube and they had three tubes and they've blown them all up because it's, you know, tucked in, tucked in the tire wrong. So to be able to help people like get to the finish line is it's, it's really cool because, you know, but all those people, people they were they were so happy. Was there anyone that you edited out that wasn't sort of that was frustrated or anything, or was was really everyone so purely happy that you met? Most people were happy. Um, there was one gentleman. I guess this was last year in twenty. Well, I guess two years ago now in twenty twenty two. He had traveled from the UK and he you know packed his bike and took his fork out and then when he reassembled it, he put the headset bearings in upside down. And so, you know, when he tightened it, it, they, they broke and he was, you know, I don't know, 50 kilometers into the ride and he had a lot of like play in his headset. Mm. And so I was like, oh, cool. I can tighten your headset. I know how to fix this. And then I took the stem off and the stem cap and I was like, oh, like this is not safe. Um, and he's like, oh, I'll just ride to the finish. I'm like, like, if you keep riding, you're going to like break your bike and you might end up in the hospital. Um, so I waited with him until we got a car to take him back to town. So he wasn't happy, but I guess I was happy that like, I was the one that saw that and not someone else mm. was like, Oh yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> you know? Cause then next thing you know, on a downhill, he, you know, his stem locks up or, you know, the fork breaks out of the, the race. And then the next thing you know, you're on the ground. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's, it's just, it's a bummer when you see that happen because people spend a lot of money on, and time, you know, this gentleman had, this was his big trip of the year, you know, to come from the UK to Colorado to do this event. It's not cheap to, you know, sign up and hotels and equipment. Um, so it's a bummer to see, you know, someone not be able to finish, but I guess the reward is like helping other people who otherwise wouldn't be able to finish, get to the finish for oftentimes a, a simple fix of a, a tube or a, you know, a multi-tool that you can fix a chain. Yeah. 
Now, I I love to see that side of the field as well. So the and the yeah the the ones that's not only at the pointy 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 part of the race, but also the ones that's that's in the back and how happy they were. That made just made my day. I just smiled so much when I saw all that. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess that's that's kind of it, you know. And that's kind of, I guess, my um, maybe maturity in the sport is like realizing that most people are just there riding, you know. Um, you know, at Unbound, there's what four thousand riders. There's you know maybe 180 professional men and maybe you know 100 professional women, and then there's you know 3,700 people who are just going to have a fun bike ride with friends. Um, and I think sometimes we forget that, especially as the you know, the media attention on the racing becomes so much bigger, you know, we forget yeah. that people are just out there having a good time. And that's kind of, you know, those stories are oftentimes more inspiring than, you know, Keegan winning his 10th, you know, race of the season. <laughs> yeah. But, um, uh, do you consider yourself fortunate? And let me expand on that. Uh, because right from what I see, you have the capability of, of winning races, winning those races that that people solely try to to do everything they can to win i mean there's people like keegan for example he puts in a lot of time and effort right and he wins a lot of things as well but on the other hand it seems like you have reached also a point of your career where you have other mechanisms that supports you in, in financially and also you don't from your risk assessment thinking and everything but you're in sort of that sweet spot of a Venn diagram where you you have that security. You don't need to race for the win, but you can if you want to. Kind of as you said in the earlier earlier today, uh, if you have a good day, you're in that sweet spot of the Venn diagram. So, is do you have you thought about that? Do you see yourself as fortunate being there, or how? Yeah, it's something actually. Yeah, it's something I think about a lot. Um, it is it is fortunate, I guess. Sometimes I and this is going to sound bad, but I almost see it as like a curse. You mm. know, it's, it's that I can still do it. You know, if I went to, like, because I, you know, there's so many things in my life that I'm, you know, doing outside of cycling, you know, I'm, I'm working, I'm on the volunteer fire department. I've got, you know, one kid, another kid on the way, we've got a garden, we've got a, you know, there's all these things I want to do. Um, you know, everything takes time. And, you know, when I look at the bike racing side, like, you know, if I went to Unbound last year and I finished, I tried as hard as I could given, you know, the time I have available and I finished, you know, 150th place, it becomes very clear to me like, okay, it's probably not me. It's not worth me still investing time in bike racing. You know, I'm, I'm not competitive. You know, I, I can go ride and still have fun, but I'm not, I don't need to do that extra hour to be fast. But because I'm still able to, be in that front group at the end of unbound it's like ah oh, well shit i guess i can still do it you know it, it's not like in a bad i mean because i'm fortunate to be able to do that um but it means like okay well i guess you know maybe i you know maybe we're not gonna plant as big of a garden because you know i, I need to train a bit more because i'm still capable of um you know performing at a high level which is yes it, it's fun um but it's like at what point do you and I guess part of it is also knowing that time is against me. You know, the older you get, the reality is you're, you're going to slow down. You know, I'm not going to be in the front group of Unbound when I'm 50 years old. Um, so it's like the this kind of, you know, balance between like the time that I have left of being competitive, having the, you know, ability to still do that, but also like what am I willing to sacrifice? You know, because every year, as I was saying, the the races get faster like more is just required to be competitive and mm. like every year i'm like pushing my you know parameters of like time i want to allow for training like every year it's like oh i guess i need to do a bit more you know i guess i you know but it's like that time becomes more valuable so it's yes i'm incredibly fortunate but also sometimes it's like oh i guess i'm i'm still good enough to do this so i have i don't have to do it but like i feel like it's almost a waste to not do it um yeah. Well, how do you strike that balance then? How do you, how do you reason? Do you reason with yourself or do you reason with your wife, your friends? How, how do you, how do you make those choices for yourself? Oh, it's, I don't, I mean, I, I guess I'm just like constantly jumping from thing to thing. You know, I'm, I'm working, I'm, you know, going to the basement to ride. It's like, I'm kind of in this, I feel like I'm a, you know, someone in the circus and I've got like 10 plates on my fingers and I'm kind of like one plate's about to fall and I'm like trying to balance everything. Um, but I guess I, I reason with it because, you know, for my wife and I, you know, it's kind of the life that I've been living since we met. So it's not like mm -hmm. unfamiliar for her, for me to, you know, go for a bike ride or, you know, to, to travel to, you know, to be gone for a week here and there. 
Um, but it, it, it's not easy. I mean, that's like, there's no question. There's times when I'm like, Oh, maybe I should stop racing because it's just, it's hard, you know? And I guess it, I know what I'm capable of if I apply myself, but you know, every hour you spend training, like something is being sacrificed, you know, whether that's, you know, putting my daughter to sleep at night or whether that's, you know, missing a fire call, um, because I'm, you know, in Texas training or, you know, whatever it is, like there's, something's giving somewhere else, um, yeah. you know? I know there yeah. was, there was, um, I can totally relate to that. Not in the same manner, of course, because I don't have the same capability as you, but there was, there was a woman, um, some many years ago and she said something about like, don't try to, to, uh, make all life, all the life puzzle pieces fit together because they're never, yeah. they never will. They will be, always be an unbalanced. So it's yeah. stop, stop sort of, trying to chase that balance yeah and i thought that was that is so true i mean you can you can strive to have a balance and try to sort of do those the sacrifices one one towards the other but but having a perfect balance that's there's no such thing yeah and i think it's also compounded by the fact that you know we had a pandemic which like allowed me the the time to like do all Mm. these other things you know to start all these other kind of hobbies and then you know we went, the world went kind of back to normal. It's like, oh, well now I'm doing all these things that I was doing there in the pandemic. Oh, now I need to travel. Okay. Now we have a kid and it's like, ah, like you're just hanging on to, you know, things that brought you happiness, um, and try to make them last. But, you know, inevitably, like, as you said, everything, everything changes and that balance is constantly kind of shifting. Yeah. I listened to, um, I listened to Ted King the, the other day, um, and his latest AMA uh, podcast. And he was, he was revealing the big uh, thing this year that he was going to now go kind of all in and and he got himself a coach and now he was training sort of not only by his own sort of head and, and thoughts but but also someone actually giving him um uh schedule and 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 whatnot but uh and that's where are you with, with those things right now are you just taking it as it comes or are you do you have a training plan now and what's your plan for for 2024 uh, no training plan, no coach. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty close with Ted, you know, he lives in Vermont as well. And I, and I, he did the podcast, which I didn't listen to, but I saw he wrote a blog and I kind of skimmed through that. And I texted him. I was like, Ted, really, this is what you're going to do. You're going to kind of go back into, back into exactly. racing. Um, which, you know, part of me was like, oh geez, well, I need to like get more serious, you know, maybe, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> that's, your, that's what you thought. Or that I was mean, initially, your... uh, yeah. Cause you know, we're in a very similar you know, we live in the same location. We both have, well, he's already has two kids. I'm about to have two kids. Yep. Um, but then, I mean, and to each their own, you know, and I think, you know, Ted for the last couple of years, you know, the sport's gotten more serious. He hasn't had, you know, and he would admit it, you know, he hasn't had the best seasons, you know, whether it's crashes and injuries and, you know, just maybe a lack of, you know, performances compared to what he wants to achieve. And so I think for him, it's, it's really a matter of like, you know, checking all the boxes. And if he does all these things and he still finishes 10th place, he's like, you know what, this is the best I am given, you know, the age I'm at. Um, I guess for me, I mean, I very much, you know, despite still trying to be a good cyclist and and a fast cyclist, um, the results at this point, it's very like, if I get a result, it's very much like a recognition of the time and energy I put in, but I don't need personally to like be the best anymore you know and i guess i've come to the realization very much so that like my best days are kind of behind me you know i'm not gonna go back i don't have a desire to go back to the world tour and win the you know try to win the tour de france or you know if i go back to unbound if i win it's great but it's not it doesn't change anything for me um you're only 33 man yeah i know i know (laughs) but i guess you know at some point like you know just because you can doesn't mean you should no um and I guess that kind of goes back to this whole balance of like being cursed, exactly. you know, it's like, you know, at some point there has to be an end, you know, I look at, you know, someone like Chris Froome or, you know, Garrett Thomas, you know, they've achieved so much, but when you, when you win something big, you know, the question everyone asks is, oh, can you do it again? But at what point does that stop? You know, mm-hmm. at what point do you say, you know what, like, that was awesome. I, you know, achieved some tremendous, you know, results or, you know, achievements, but I'm satisfied with that. And I guess very much to a degree different than Ted, you know, cause when I stopped, you know, I thought I was done racing when I left the world tour in 2019, I was like, well, I, maybe I'll do some grand fondos or some local events, but I wasn't expecting to be like a elite bike racer again. 
And I found myself back in that position, um, which is great, but it's also like, uh oh, like how did I end up? You know, I spent a lot mm. of time, you know, struggling with the concept of I'm no longer a pro. And then now I find myself a pro again. Um, so it's like, how do you, how do you keep that balance of like, I'm, I'm doing this because I love riding my bikes and, you know, I want to ride my bike until I'm, you know, 70 or 80 years old. And so it's kind of constantly keeping in mind, like, I don't want to burn out on bike riding, you know, and, and sometimes when you do too much training, when you put too much pressure and expectations, you know, I have plenty of colleagues who I race with in the world tour who are retired and they don't ride a bike at all anymore. You know, they, mm. they burnt out on it. They don't want to touch a bike. And for me, it's like, I want to ride my bike, you know, for the rest of my life, not just race my bike for the next three years. Yeah, I can, I can understand that. So speaking of that, do you have any sort of bucket list adventures, races, things you want to do on a bike that you still sort of, uh, yeah. <sighs> Nothing may, I mean, I want to do, uh, this trip to, to Patagonia. I'm really mm -hmm. looking forward to that. Just, you know, riding my bike in a, in a new area. There's an event in the U S that you may have heard of. Have you heard of Ragbri? Yeah. I want to do Ragbri, which isn't a bike race. It's like a, you know, a bike ride across the state of Iowa. Um, and it's, you know, it's something I want to do when our, my daughters get older, you know, is I want to just like take my family and like, we'll get, you know, I don't know, an old tandem or something and some trailer bikes and just do this week long bike ride across Iowa. I think there's less events I want to do, um, but more just like family trips on a bicycle, you know, like maybe mm. do a, you know, I don't know, a bike trip across, you know, Vermont, um, something like that. Just sharing, I guess, my love and like the ability of bikes with, with my family rather than, you know, I've, I've done so much, you know, from the Tour de France to Cape Epic to Unbound to Migration Gravel Race. Um, I think I enjoy riding my bike in new spots. You know, and a lot of oftentimes races take you to new spots, but sometimes it's hard to really explore as much when you, you know, when you're racing as, as just going somewhere to, to ride. Very cool. I think, I think we will end on that note because you're, you're such an inspiration, Ian, and I, I truly, truly think that whatever you do, you will continue to inspire people, even that you may be not doing it super intentionally then, but as you've been speaking about, but just spreading um, your your joy for cycling. I think that's 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 incredible. So thank you very much yeah. for coming on, uh, on, on this show with me, and I hope that you will have a beautiful end of this day. All right. Thank you so much, Marcus. Thank you so much, Ian. That was super insightful. I'm truly grateful that you took your time and that you spent that with me talking to you guys about all the things that we spoke about today. Really looking forward to seeing what you're going to achieve this year, not only when it comes to your racing, but also all the other cool events that you're doing and how you're helping people. You catch me with my next exciting guests in a week's time. Until then, see you guys. <laughs>